Do the Warriors need to adjust their offense? Where do the Trailblazers stack up in the West? Should players be allowed to recruit other stars to their teams? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. As always, I'm joined by Jared Weiss of The Athletic, and today we're here to talk about Jared. No, are we talking about you or are we going to talk about the NBA today? Hey, we can talk about me if that's what people want to hear. People are going to get it. That's right. We got to give the people what they want. Um, but I think, if I'm not mistaken, that they want to hear us talk about the NBA more than they want to hear about your grooming habits or whatnot. So I'm thinking we go to Golden State and Portland to kick this thing off. Oh, okay. Take control uh, of the pod. Hijack it, if you will. So, yes, let's talk about Portland. Let's talk about the um, Warriors. It was a great game. Just did a video on that. Uh, it's one of two amazing, epic, crazy, insane finishes of the night. Um, and I had some interesting thoughts. Uh, again, we saw what I did with the Lakers-Warriors uh, video where they completely – it's not even just Draymond Green. It's not even just Andre Iguodala. It's anybody who's not named Clay, Steph, or um, Kevin. They're not guarding them. They literally are just gumming up the works with any kind of action they're trying to get uh, and then just thanking the Lord when those other guys shoot it at any time, even if it goes in. And it, it could be a problem. Well, so I guess the question is, how do they use Draymond Green, right? So I think it was Anthony Slater said the other day that there's a lot of expectation they're going to start using Draymond as a little bit more of a traditional high post big instead of a five out big, which I guess is good because one, he can turn the corner really easily from that position and get to the rim quickly. And he's a great passer from that high post, whether he's facing up or he has his back to the basket. But it's it's kind of like, you know, there's a couple of teams right now that are supposed to be elite offenses who because personnel isn't consistent across the board, they're kind of going with these Band-Aid packages during the year. And there's, I think there's a legitimate conversation to be had, which I guess we should have right now instead of talking about having a conversation, is is there harm to putting in these Band-Aids during the season if you know that if you want to be successful in the long run, you have to get to your core identity system by playoff time? Well, that's a good question. It's also uh, tangential to the notion of maybe not running your best sets because you don't want anyone to see them. And, sure. you know, but the problem with that is, is then, you know, nobody has any reps. They don't have any rhythm. They don't know how well that's going to work when you have to do them in the, in the playoffs and in in that kind of pressure. So um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like you got to just play the way, you, you know, you got to build toward the playoffs and you got to run your stuff. And to get back to even what Draymond's doing is what they did do well last night, and they didn't score a ton of points. It was a, it was a very good game plan by the Warriors or by the, the Blazers is that they were getting him in the high post with his back to the basket. And they were cutting off of that. And that worked nicely. And in the low post, although it's still funny because even though he's got his back to the basket with the ball, they're still four feet between him and the and his man. You know, they're still trying to almost goad him and like, please, you know, post up, do a turnaround, and we'll pressure that and see what happens. So that might obviously will have to be the way that they're going to do it. Now, I did notice a couple times where uh, you know there's, there tends to be on the Warriors' offense if Clay is coming towards you from the bottom, from the underneath the hoop, and you're on the wing, you're supposed to just go screen down for him. It's almost like an automatic. And he didn't do that. He stayed in the corner a couple times. And then again, that gums up the work because his man is simply in the, at least one foot in the lane. And then, you know, toying with that three-second rule where he can be even farther for a couple seconds. So um, it, it's an issue. And that said, their ranking is still very high on, on offensive rating. 
And so if you want to point to anything that the Warriors need to shore up, it's the defense anyway. That's true. And, I mean, just to tie the bow on the Draymond thing, you know, Nurkic, and I think Zubac in that Laker game beforehand, they were basically waiting for him on the restricted circle. They were not... They were not trying to push him off even necessarily. They just wanted to prevent any sort of backdoor cuts from Clay or Steph. So it it, it makes me wonder if they you know want to stick with Draymond in like the mid, maybe the middle of the fourth quarter and maybe just go to him at the end of the fourth quarter and experiment with some different lineups where Draymond isn't being utilized uh, for you know different spots of the fourth quarter. I guess they don't really have any other personnel that they would go to that I can think of off the top of my head. That would be a solution there. But, you know, and obviously it could just be as simple as Draymond's ice cold right now and he gets a shooting back a little bit. But we've seen a trend pretty consistently over the past couple of years of Draymond going through major cold streaks. And he's been airballing threes lately and stuff like that. So there's definitely something off. I mean, I, I can't imagine him airballing three-pointers as just a shot being off. There's got to be something wrong with maybe some sort of upper body or lower body issue going on with him. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. But he also is looking like he wants to get rid of the ball as quickly as he gets on the perimeter. Just doesn't want it, doesn't want to take the shot when he's wide open like that. I get it. I, You know, if you've gotten that kind of treatment in any kind of a level, any kind of game, it is a little nerve-wracking all of a sudden when no one's guarding you. And the other thing that's hurting them, though, is our big men. Like, Nurkic was a beast down low. He was rolling and getting uh, those kind of shots easy, but he was also commanding really low post position and just turning and hooking over over whoever was guarding him. And we saw uh, the same kind of uh, uh, response from uh, Zubats as well. So, yeah, that's another problem that maybe gets shored up with Boogie coming back, I think, maybe. Um, but... We've talked about this for a long time about how like they've gone s- small and run bigger guys off the court, and I don't know. Maybe that's not going to work anymore. I mean, it it only works when you have all five guys clicking, obviously, and that's not really the case right now. Although in that Portland game, they were getting a lot of good transition buckets late in the game, so that was kind of working. But then Dame or CJ or Nurkic would respond every single time. I mean, I think that game was mostly just. One, it was a crazy turnover with Steph at the end of the game that led to Dame hitting an unbelievable game-winning three. But I think a lot of it was just a, it was a great shootout with a team that has two other elite scores and the Nurkic, who you know, on occasion is also an elite scorer. Right, and that's true. That's true. It was a confluence of insane events. Uh, we, I mean, we've seen a little bit of the of the turnover yips through the years, and some bad examples of that, even in you know the playoffs and the finals. So it's not completely foreign. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. Uh, that said, what you said about speeding up is another thing that they can battle, that battle this defense with is getting down the court faster so they can get the shots before the defense can set up. And that's clearly what they're also trying to do. They've always been better when they're going faster like that anyway. So, you know, is it going to wear them out quicker? I don't know, because then the other problem is if they're in dogfights more often, then they're playing more minutes than they're used to because, it's, you know, they probably have – how many blowouts would they have in a season you know, in the last few seasons? 20? Maybe Probably. more. Yeah, they've been living a pretty cushy lifestyle for a while. Yeah, so that's a big deal. And if they're forced to have to go, you know, deeper into these games, uh, you know, it's a, it's a slog. And maybe we've forgotten that when we've seen these teams that go to the finals three, four, five times in a row, you know, this is what the the third and the fourth year usually look like. Uh, they like a scrap and a, you barely get there, and they can kind of have to overcome a lot of adversity and then they get there. So we'll see. That doesn't quite feel that way yet, but they've got 13 losses, which is a lot more than they've had at this point in the season, I think, in their entire run. I mean, they, they're probably going to lose 20 to 25 games this year, which is kind of shocking to believe. But then again, like you said, usually at the late stage of these dynasties, they 
barely get past 50 wins and they're really just saving it for the playoffs there. So this team doesn't look like a team that has a fatal flaw right now or that I don't think Draymond's necessarily lost it. Clay's on a cold streak. He hasn't lost it, obviously. But, um, you know, Iggy's a guy that is still performing fairly well, but he's the one that I think age you're definitely concerned about. Um, but th- they should still be able to turn it on in the playoffs. I don't think that's the question. I guess the question is, what's the high watermark for them at this point? Right. And Clay was pretty funny about, you know, they were asking about a shot and who he's going to take advice from, like Larry Bird or Reggie Miller. It's like the list he lit, you know, Ray Allen. Some of those guys have no idea what they did with their shot. And it's like they're the, they were the last people you'd want to ask if you need help. And uh, so I found that pretty, pretty interesting as well. So he seems pretty defensive about it, too. And, you know, I'll tell him it's his feet. His feet are wider than they normally used to be in the last several years or ever in his career when he's jumping. And it's that's the only thing I can see that's different. And I suspect uh, we've seen that issue in the past where he slumped. And when it's gotten narrower, he's gotten back to where he was. So uh, it's a weird conscious decision that he, I think he clearly made uh, based on who knows, maybe it was an injury. Uh, he got hurt in the finals and he ended up playing through it. Now I'm forgetting what the injury was. Do you remember? Oh, God. <laughs> no, I don't uh, and, and he was like, he, and he, and he probably would not have played if it wasn't the finals, uh, because it was he was pretty banged up. Remember, he had like, you know, he didn't play that well. I don't think the last few games, but whatever that was, I mean, th- who knows if that did something, and then that got him off all summer long and training. So uh, we, we can look that up too. But um, you know, if we did want to talk about Portland for a second, like you know, the injury, one guy that what was leg it? injury for him? It's a lateral left yeah. leg contusion. Boom! There you go. So you know, his leg was really hurting him. Um, that could easily cause him to like you know adjust the way he's jumping because it hurts, and then you get in that repetition, then you groove that way. So uh, that might be it. And um, to get back to Portland real quickly, so Evan Turner is a guy that was conspicuously absent in my mind watching them play. Didn't really get any run down the stretch at all. And um, I don't know. I feel like that's a, an interesting point because like they don't they don't get much production outside of Dame, CJ, and Nurkic. No one else scores double figures. And it just seems like when you look at their advanced like uh, offensive rating, defensive rating, I, I wonder if it's a mirage for them because in their net rating is zero. It just feels like I don't know if they really should be in the sixth spot in the West at this point. Maybe they should be lower. Well, that's what happens when you have two elite closers, right? I mean, this that's how they won this game was they had an elite closer and Dame hit that incredible shot. So... I think usually these teams that don't seem that great on paper, but they have that one elite score, tend to have the same situation. Uh, it's funny because Charlotte is probably, you could say, a similarly constructed team, although they don't have as good of a secondary player to put next to Kemba. And their record is usually way worse than what their net rating is. So it's funny how they kind of have the opposite effect there. Uh, but, you know, Port- I mean, Portland's whole thing is that they have, I guess, you know, they have two great scores. Nurkic can also score. And then they have like six or seven good complimentary players who just can't really do much with the ball in their hands. You know, Seth Curry is, you know, has actually gotten pretty solid. He had a decent game in this one. And then Turner's a good choreographer, but he's just, his shooting, his shooting spiked in like one season. That was pretty much it. Uh, but then everyone else out there, Harkless, Aminu, um, Myers Leonard, Zach Collins, those guys are all support players. Those guys are all defensive specialists. They, they don't really contribute that much offensively. They can space the floor a little bit. So I think this team is just – their record is good right now just because CJ and Dame have been so unbelievably hot this year, but then it's going to cool off a little bit. And they're they're one of those teams, probably more than anybody else in the league, that really has to ride or die based on what their top scorer does. 
Yeah, I, I think they're missing Alan Crabb. I really like what he was doing for them when he was there. Just a sharp shooter guy who can come off screens a little bit like Cup uh, McCollum does, and he's bigger and he can defend. Uh, I just feel like I, I, that would be a guy, if they had someone like that, would make me feel a little bit better about this team, um, even though they're like almost like in that Spurs thing where you kind of forget about them, you write them off, and then boom, they're right there. Sometimes they're even as high as like third in the conference, and they move around in that, in that realm. It's crazy. Their offense has slumped, though. It's down to 13th in offensive rating, which I know was higher earlier in the season. So that's another, you know, an interesting thing. I know CJ has been shooting well, and he's trying to find his, his stroke there. By the way, CJ was, a, was the man down the stretch. I know that Dame hit the shot, but CJ was cold-blooded on a, a couple of uh, shots, and then it got free throws, too, to generate points for them. That was huge. But they're also 19th on defense. So it's just like, I don't know. I just feel like the numbers, to me, are trending in a negative way for them. And um, but again, it just adds to the confusion that is the Western Conference. And while the Western Conference confuses me to no end, one place that I have zero confusion is at MacWeldon.com. I wasn't sure what they had to offer when I first clicked on their site. But when I saw the quality underwear, shirts, socks, hoodies and sweatpants, I was completely hooked. All of their stuff is so comfortable and it's because they engineered their own premium fabric. It's crisp weather out here in L.A., and they've got the perfect jacket that keeps me just warm enough to be comfortable and stylish enough to get noticed. But don't stop there. Check out all their items, like their underwear that is naturally antimicrobial, meaning they eliminate odor. If you don't like your first pair, you can still keep them and get a full refund. Their website is beautifully designed and easy to use, and I know you'll love their style. And best of all, I can get you 20% off your first purchase by visiting MacWeldon.com and entering in the promo code BREAKDOWN. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, and the promo code is BREAKDOWN. So should we talk about tampering? Let's do it. Let's talk about tampering and what it means. Certainly we know that there's a rule that Magic, I think, now knows very well now, that the uh, if you're part of a front office, you really can't in the press or publicly express your desire for a, te- a player on another team. I think, oh, and I, I suppose you can't, even, can, you can't even talk to them until the very specific areas of the offseason. I think that's, does that encapsulate the strict rules, the way they're written? You're not even supposed to negotiate with your own players until it's time to negotiate. So yeah, it's a, the rule is relatively stringent, although it is genuine. It's kind of broad as well with the commissioner having broad power. So we see, especially lately so many complaints about the way tampering is being handled by the league office. So that's why we have this memo that Woj was reporting about uh, on Friday, which is kind of helpful to figuring out how the NBA is going to handle this. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting here is that for, for the longest time, it didn't matter what the, uh, what the players themselves said, they were allowed to recruit and do whatever they wanted to. And they've said that in the past, we've seen, uh, you know, instances like this in the past where, you know, a guy would say, sure, you know, come, I would like to play with him or I'd like him to come to play on our team, whatever. I know even CJ, uh, I think, was part of that at some point over the summer with maybe Mello. Am I crazy? Like the year before. So, no, was it Mello? Anyway, whoever it was. Um, so that's what's interesting is that, you know, it seemed like it was OK, legal, no problem at all. But what makes this memo, what, what made it come out like this with what LeBron said so special and worthy of making uh, some guidelines clearer? Well, obviously, it's triggered by complaints from the teams. I think the one thing I would disagree with is the notion that this has always been permissible. I don't think players actively recruiting other players to their team 
um, and through the media has ever really been considered fair game. But I think players have made subtle comments and stuff like that. Um, but what LeBron did crossed a pretty clear threshold because of the context of what he was saying and the way he was saying it, where he was saying it would be great if we could get Anthony Davis. So it's a very clear request for a trade for Anthony Davis, which I'm sure his teammates love to hear. Um, and then the other context, uh, part of the context to it is that he is most likely heavily affiliated with Clutch Sports, which is owned and operated by Rich Paul. And he and uh, Anthony Davis just got poached by Rich Paul pretty recently. I know that LeBron and his agent Rich, uh, has always been able to basically get sweetheart deals for his other for the other clients at Clutch that happened with Jr. Uh, Tristan Thompson and who am I forgetting? Shump was Shump part of that as well, or was Shump not Clutch? I can't remember. Um, but then uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope. I know I was told during the summer that Rich Paul basically told Luke Walt or told the Lakers take care of KCP. LeBron's coming your way, and they did. So. Rich Paul, like most agents, is able to use superstar athletes to leverage deals. It's very rare that they can do it in the way that Rich Paul is able to pull it off, but this is how it works with, with Clutch. So I think there's a legitimate argument to be made that this isn't fair because we've seen so many examples of Rich and LeBron being able to leverage LeBron in order to get literal contracts for guys. And then there's the other complaint, which is that we don't know how much LeBron has a vested interest in clutch sports i think that i think uh it was kevin o'connor at the ringer and zach lowe at espn a couple days ago both had pretty extensive articles on this um it seems that there's uh the, the, their league sources seem to agree that whatever commission lebron could possibly get from whatever contract anthony davis were to get even if he were getting it which would obviously be, be a pretty clear violation of the cba it wouldn't be enough for him to have the incentive to do something like that where he'd put his career in jeopardy put his reputation in jeopardy and put his agency in jeopardy as well because um, you know once lebron retires i'm sure he's gonna it's gonna publicly be that he has like a 35 percent stake in the company and is gonna make a ton of money off of it and they're gonna expand even more into multimedia marketing and into film industry and all that kind of stuff so he doesn't want to screw with the money he's got he's got a good thing going okay so well so who's the top of the list of the of the teams that are complaining i guess suppose it's new orleans are they the ones who are that upset because walk me through that mindset um he's under contract through next year am i is that right yeah, so AD. So basically, how it works is AD gets a supermax offer. The summer, AD probably turns it down based on what uh, I think Rich Paul probably leaked to Chris Haynes in that report er earlier last week. So at that point, they have to trade him. And this is like this isn't. I think we've gone through this enough with all these other superstars that we don't really need to speculate too much about how this is going to go down. We know this is probably how it's going to go down. Unless New Orleans really gets it together and makes some sort of massive run, it seems like it's probably going to be over. So at that point, he can leak that he wants to go to the Lakers like Paul George did, like Kawhi's camp has been doing, or Kawhi's camp has been leaking LA. But So at that point, we see how that affects the, um, affects the trade market. Now, New Orleans can try to pursue the trade market now, but they don't have Boston actively able to bid, ag uh, bid against L.A. to drive up the price. Now, of course, Boston can engage in trade negotiations as long as they're, they, they're confident they can keep them a secret so that they're not holding on to players that they think 
are going to be pissed off by it, like Jalen Brown, for instance, or even Jason Tatum. Um, but you know, Boston can't execute the trade until the offseason because of the Rose rule and Kyrie, which everyone has talked about a thousand times. So Boston can be a part of negotiations, but the leverage that New Orleans has playing Boston and L.A. off of each other and whoever else wants to get in the sweepstakes, but those are the two obvious ones, uh, you know, th- their leverage seems to disincentivize them from making a trade during the season. Okay, so you think that, that what their their goal would be, I mean, it, their goal is obviously not to lose him, but uh, if he doesn't take the offer of the Supermax in the summer, then they're going to have to start you know, actively looking to trade him at some point in the fall or whatever that is in the beginning of the season next year. Yeah, and a big thing that I think Kevin noted was that the Supermax for the truly elite players like AD, like the five guys at the top of the game, isn't that much of an incentive because they can go with one-on-one contracts for the next five years, and then the difference isn't $80 million or whatever. It's really more like $15 million. So the, the gap between Supermax and then doing a bunch of one-on-ones grows much smaller, but there's but AD is part of a class of guys. Basically, it's like the first All-NBA team guys that are willing to do that. And, and also the consideration of where he signs, because if I don't know what the tax incentives are or the uh, tax structure is in, in New Orleans, but like in, in states like Florida and Texas, when you if you go to there, uh, right, you save so much extra money only on the games you play at home. But, you know, at those levels, too, there's a there's a something to be considered there, especially like that's probably another reason why maybe Kauai would consider not staying in Canada because of that. I believe that's pretty restrictive with the income tax. Well, California has a, is the highest state income tax. I remember I think it was Phil, Phil Mickelson declared that he was changing his residence from San Diego because he was getting taxed up the wazoo by California. Although I'm sure that was probably more likely there were some tax fraud concerns with the state that probably they were trying to pursue. Um, but the NBA is, I, I can't remember if they actually passed it or not, if they're talking about doing it, but they were talking about putting in a rule in the CBA to normalize the impact of state tax where there would be some sort of pooling or something like that, but it would take away the advantage that Texas and Florida have. Um, so I can't remember, and I'm sure somebody in the comment section will call me an idiot for not remembering, but it's either been introduced or it's already been approved. I'm pretty sure it has not been approved yet, though. It probably would be something for the next CBA anyway. But it is something that could affect AD because the next CBA is going to be in a couple years and unless they say this, that unless they say all current contracts are grandfathered in and ADs on a long term contract, that would mean that if he was doing the one plus one thing, then all of a sudden he would lose some of that incentive. But again, I don't think the incentives are that big for state tax that it really matters that much, especially because the opportunity to make money is so much higher when you're based out of LA than it is out of New Orleans. Sure. Now, so and the bottom line here is are you against the notion of players openly in the media talking about playing with other players? Uh, definitely. Um, I, I think that what LeBron did is tampering that should have been punished. I think there are ways that that can be done where it's not punishable. I think you should be able to commend and, and show adoration for a player, especially because the, you know, the whole idea between that split between players uh, being able to tamper and then executives not being able to tamper, I think is one that executives and coaches are kind of like supposed to be official agents of the decision-making process that have power in decision-making processes while players supposed, you know, are not supposed to, although of course in some cases they do, but also that these players for the most part have long-established relationships that they that usually coaches and front office people don't have. So there's some merit to that. But what LeBron is doing is he's creating a he's creating a PR campaign 
to try to poison the well for AD in New Orleans. It's a very obtuse and it's it's a it's an act of information warfare, essentially, or propaganda warfare. It's I think it's it's such an overt act that it's something that probably should be punished. I think he probably should have been fined something commensurate with the amount that Magic Johnson was fined. Probably not quite at that point because what Magic was doing was some pretty significant tampering. Um, but, I mean, th- this is the kind of stuff that if they let it slide, then you're going to see this active recruiting where all the small market teams are going to have the well poisoned against them. And we see this. I'm a big soccer fan. We see this in European soccer all the time. And I think it's insane how players do that. People talk about how they want to finish their careers with different teams, how they want to go play for different teams. They talk about um, how they want to steal players from other teams or coaches from other teams. And both coaches and players do it. And it's like, it's one, it's so disrespectful to your own club. It's so disrespectful to the other clubs. You know, I think there's a, I think there should be a level of decorum, not to like preach from, uh, you know, from my rocking chair or anything, but like, I think there should be some level of respect and decorum built into the way that the transaction market works because like there's, there's so much on the line and there's so much money on the line for these teams that if you're doing it in a reckless manner, you're causing pretty significant damage to other organizations that are a part of the collective association. Fair enough. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'd actually really like to do a pod with uh, with Bill Simmons. I think he would be a great uh, partner for me uh, as well. So um, maybe I'll try and get, oh, wait a minute. You're listening. Sorry. That probably made you feel bad, I guess, right? No, not really. If it was someone else, maybe. No, <laughs> All right. All right. Well, that seems like this, uh, some similar idea. So I get it now, I, I suppose. Uh, to me, it almost felt like I didn't really care either way just because, you know, you're never going to be able to police it. Certainly, in, in between players, when they're not publicly talking, they're just going to be calling each other, texting each other, whatever it is anyway. That's probably one of the reasons why they didn't want to really enforce much. But I suppose once you start getting into the public sphere, that is an issue. And uh, and so I get it. Not not uh, not cool. Uh, and we should probably, they're going to have to put a put a tamp down on that one. So we'll see what the fine is, if any. I, I'd be a little bit surprised if, if LeBron does get fined, though. I think at this point, it's pretty clear he isn't. I think we're kind of past that. And this memo serves to do that. Not to mention, they didn't really line out any sort of expected um, penalties in this memo, although maybe we're not seeing the entire memo from what is in Woj's report, but um, I I think they don't want to they don't want to have specific penalties lined out because that way Silver continues to retain full autonomy to handle each ad hoc situation as he sees fit. That's a very smart way to do it, like John Wooden used to, so Thank you so much, Jared, for breaking that down for us and discussing what we're going to do with these players who are trying to recruit each other or not. And I'm sorry if you were upset that I would want the best, uh, the biggest podcaster in the world to join me. Are you? You, you are upset. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all right. I'm gonna, I need to get that. I'm just going to post the B-Ball Breakdown pod from you, and I'm going to start having Dave DeFore back on every week. <laughs> oh, great. All right. Say hi to Dave for me, would you? So, all right. Well, anyway, thanks for coming on. Great stuff. And we'll see you guys next week. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, not a channel, for a conversation. You in? Are you in, Jared? I'm in a different podcast.